It's not one thing that needs to change. It's everything. And I feel like that's the that's the thing that we're seeing right now is so many things are in a really bad place right now that we're seeing a lot of different things that need to change and those are really coming to light. And so I, my hope is that, like my personal hope is that for, for society that we use this as like a launching point to work to fix things that we desperately need to fix and that we re- like and, and make the, like the United States a better place. My name is Rob Van Nood, and you're listening to the second season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Educators and students share their short, elevator pitch-sized stories to raise your awareness of everything that is going on here at Catlin Gable School. What does it feel like to be on the threshold of leaving the nest during a worldwide pandemic, an economic recession, and a large-scale revolt against police brutality and centuries of systematic racism. The four graduating seniors I spoke with for this podcast were wary, but shared a heartening level of optimism and positivity. As the Catlin Gable class of 2020 prepares to graduate today, in a ceremony on campus where they will see each other from the safe distance of their cars, I wanted to share the Zoom conversation that I had this week with Arushi, Sophie, Ezra, and Avery. We covered a wide range of topics. Missing friends, loving the little things, appreciating family life, improving remote learning, and how to take action in the world as they move forward. This is just a glimpse into the lives of four thoughtful, caring, and insightful young adults, but it's a dedication to all the extraordinary graduates of this class. Congratulations, class of 2020. Hi, I'm Arushi Falke. I came to Catlin in sixth grade. Uh, I'm Ezra Rich. Uh, I came to Catlin in ninth grade. Uh, I'm Avery Pritchard. I've been at Catlin since sixth grade. Hi, my name is Sophie Feldman, and I have been at Catlin since sixth grade. So I reached out to the senior class to see uh, who might want to come onto the podcast and share a little bit about the experience of being a senior at this really crazy juncture in time. Probably nobody I know or probably nobody you know or your parents, maybe even your grandparents know, are in the similar circumstances that you are right now. You're in the, the middle of this lockdown because of the pandemic. You're in the middle of this large-scale revolt in reaction to police brutality and systematic racism that's been going on for centuries. Um, There's an economic crisis. All of this stuff is happening, and you are now jumping out of your nest, you know, of home and heading out into the world. So my first question really is, like, what's going on with you? How are you feeling about this space and time? You're about to graduate in two days. How does it feel to be a Catlin graduate? I feel like you just summarize like a lot of the crazy feelings about things that we've been having but if I were to you know set aside the pandemic the revolution like the uncertainty just about like 
senior year and missing these like last final moments and having graduation in two days, I would say it's really bittersweet to like have that moment, but not have that closure or those final moments together. Yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, obviously there's, as again, focusing on what's going on within the Catlin world, I guess. There's a lot of small things that I'm missing, you know? Something like a lot of, a lot of stuff like getting to say goodbye to people, not just the people who you would like write a card to or whatever, like, but you know, there's a great number of people who I've gotten to know at Catlin and like, you never, I, I feel like it's sort of tough to say goodbye to them, especially on Zoom. Avery, have you had any chance to actually interact with anybody? I know, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit. People are getting out. There's maybe more opportunities to socially distance. Is that I've seen considered? Um, people from Catlin twice. I spent a social, I like sat six feet away from a couple friends and like talked to each other. And then I ran into a classmate at a, protest yeah but uh it's it's I mean there's there's so many people you want to like talk to when and the nice thing is that I remember like seniors past you'd like go say goodbye to like all of these people who you only like they've touched you in a very tangential way but it's all those like tangential connections that are sort of up in smoke yeah Yeah, something I'm aware of is um we're in this last week of, I'm so sorry, Ezra. Go, go, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> there's this unique privilege that I have where we're in this moment of a lot of stuff is happening and a lot of stuff is changing. And I've been able to connect with some teachers who have been really great about using Microsoft Teams and using Zoom to just connect. So like every week I've been meeting with like Crystal and Brandon and talking about what's happening and talking about that in terms of an educational context and so that's been really nice yeah I just I I remember like at the beginning of the year thinking about the end of the year and being like it's like the people I'm going to miss aren't going to be like my best friends and aren't going to be the people I'm going to I'm going to stay connected to because I'm going to stay connected to them because I'll see them throughout college I'll see them hopefully beyond I'll see them over the summer like they're not people I'm going to lose it's like Avery said it's the people who come in and like you have a single class with, or you just, you never, you don't even have a class with, but you spent like your social areas are the same. Um, like all of the people in the CSC who I never really had a, had a class with or never got close to, but at the same time, we're still had such a big impact on my life. And it's just sort of the realization that I'm never really going to see those people again and never going to get to say goodbye and never going to um, have that last day or last few days, have the senior class trip, have all these, these big moments where you can say goodbye to the people who, have touched you in these incredible ways, but you're not, you didn't end up developing close relationships with. Um, we had a senior class Zoom two days ago, yesterday. It was, either, it was a few days ago. Um, and like, it was sort of that same thing where I got to talk to a bunch of people I had never, ta- like I hadn't talked to in a few months um, and like just don't really like talk to, but at the same time are still uh, really important to me as part of my class. And I feel like just missing those people is, is what's, made me really sad recently. That's one of the things that I've loved about being on campus and being part of the community for so long 
were just, you know, the passing periods, the times in communal spaces where I would see someone and I knew everyone and we would just like exchange quick words or like a little quip or, you know, just have a quick conversation that, and like all of those conversations throughout the day adding up is what made my days on campus really good. Like not just hanging out with my really close friends. And that's something I've really missed in like the virtual space. There's none of that time like to be free on campus. It's like you, you log off Zoom and you're alone in your bedroom. Is that kind of a, a general sense? Everybody has that feeling of kind of being alone, more alone than you would normally. I mean, you might be with your family, but does it does it have that sense of, you know, Zoom turns off and suddenly, boom, you're you're not walking with someone from class, from one class to another through the quad. You're suddenly turning off and then just going back into your world and then turning back on, you know, maybe an hour later. Totally. I think, you know, when I log off, lock off of Zoom and I'm just in my bedroom and I'm alone, I'm like, oh, right, this is... This is not like school where once you log out of class, you still continue those conversations with your friends in class and people, you know, you carry the conversation over into your free time and such. But weirdly enough, I've also found that, you know, we were going to reach this point eventually where these people that we're not super close with um, would not be in our lives as much anymore. And it was rather just pushing that deadline closer than we thought. Um, so in one way, I think we, I've appreciated people a lot more. And I think my peers have been a lot more appreciative together. And that's been something that's really positive and really kind. And I think also teachers and, and faculty have also been a lot more kind and appreciative in this moment. So it's been a nice way to say goodbye, considering the circumstances. Do any of you feel at this point, it's been like 60 days a little bit more maybe that we're, we've been all locked in at home. Do any of you have the urge to just say, screw it. <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm going to hug them. I'm going to, you know, there's only a, there's only a certain amount of, you know, there's 5,000 cases in Oregon where, you know, millions of people did. Is there any drive for you to really just want to, break against some of those norms that are set up or are you, do you feel pretty committed to being like, I need to, I need to stick this out. I mean, I've already been, I was, I've, I've been going to some of the protests, which is the exact opposite of quarantine. It's like a mass of humanity. It's like, they're very large. Um, so, but, but I, I know I, I, I would never hug my friends because I, I don't want to, put my risk taking on them anyone else i feel like it's just like it's so like i've made it two months and it looks like it's only going to be another few weeks or maybe a month until we're at least able to see people consistently and like not have to worry about that and i'm just sort of like i've stuck it out for this long i can stick it out for a little bit longer so so kind of going back a little bit in terms of the last you know, three months or so, what are the things that you have all done to adjust, you know, the, your experience to maybe bring some moments of joy or ideas that would maybe fill those, those 
you know, spaces that friends or those common, you know, interactions uh, normally have? Have you done anything to kind of move into those spaces in different ways than you normally would? I think it's about like finding ways to occupy your time. Because I remember, you know, on campus, the school day was just much longer if you add it all up. And there's all the time and commute and homework. And like every day I would expect to go somewhere during lunch with someone. And there's just a lot happening in your day. And you kind of realize how many hours there are in the day when you're at home. So like for me, I've gotten really into just reading for fun again, or, you know, just laying in the sun. Nice. It's just slowing down a little. Yeah. How about the rest of you? Yeah, I would echo that slowing down thing. And suddenly you find there's time to like see people, which isn't like, I was always super busy with extracurriculars and then like, uh, with a, like I, w- I didn't see like see people outside of school that often because I saw them I was around people at school for like the majority of my waking hours I feel like and so yeah like it it's kind of good to de- I feel I, I like I like having the school and the socializing kind of decoupled in a way because yeah, I don't know. You want to say a little bit more about that? Like, what what's the what's the benefit of that that decoupling? Oh well, you can actually like talk to people, like have conversations. You can you kind of have the time and the space to the more in, to like talk about more interesting things with your friends, rather than like you know chat if you because the chatting in like a passing time between classes is cool and all but it like lasts like a minute mm-hmm. so i can talk with my friends like for hours which is something that would have been pretty rare before yeah i agree with avery i think i functioned at catlin by making my day every day be full like i would plan out my in the morning i'd be thinking like i'm gonna come home around six or seven today and then i would think how much homework do i have after I come home. And so then I think about what I'm going to do when I'm at home all at like seven in the morning (laughs) as I'm driving to school. And so I filled in my time very purposely. And I think similar to Avery, my interactions came through the activities and the schoolwork that I did. It wasn't through my free time. Um, And so the adjustment into remote learning was difficult for me because I didn't know what to do. Um, And even just doing things like that relaxed me, like taking walks and um yeah like just like watching shows or reading books I would eventually feel like I'm not doing anything purposeful it wasn't doing anything helpful um and so that was something that I had to deal with um but I think again like with Avery I have now these conversations that'll go into like the middle of the night and then my parents will have to be like it's like 4 a.m go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) but it's really nice in that sense are you talking on the phone are you are you doing Zoom or you're texting or what do you do? We do Zoom calls and then we play cards a lot. Um, I've learned a lot of card games, so that's been fun. So what kind of, what works? What card games work? I learned Texas Hold'em. <laughs> nice. That's you're ready fun. to go gamble. <laughs> With fake money, so I feel a lot 
less terrible when I lose all of it. Um, but yeah, I've been playing like spades and hearts and presidents. Um, super, they're super fun. The spades is fun. such a good game. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are all these apps that you can use um, and web apps that you can use um, for all sorts of different kinds of games. Other things people are doing to, to fill in Ezra? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time outside. Um, I've been going on like walks. Um, and like when I can, I, I've been going to, uh, like I've, I've been to the waterfront a few times. I've been up to Gifford Pinchot uh, National Forest, which is up in Washington. Um, and I just like, I'm, I've been trying to get outside a lot because that's something I don't get as much of a chance to do normally. Um, yeah. And then like, I've also been spending a lot of time like watching TV and playing video games, but like mm -hmm. that's yeah. Separate. <laughs> My wife, who's the, the assistant head of the lower school, has been sitting in on conferences. And she was in on some conferences with some first graders. And there was a first grader who was saying, I can't wait till this thing is done when I can use real pencils and paper and I don't have to look at people over Zoom. And, you know, there's like this almost this developed aversion to doing stuff on iPads because they all have, you know, they're doing everything on iPads. Um, do you guys have a sense? A similar sense are you you know like when this is done I'm kind of done with some digital stuff for a while or do you feel like you know this has been such a powerful tool I'm, I'm even more into it now I I want to go back um, less into it <laughs> yeah. I, like I feel like I respect it like as a possibility and I think it's a good thing to like know how to use and to be able to utilize and I think it's a really powerful tool and I think but I think like I'm very tired of Zoom in particular. Uh, like I, I want to be able to interact with my professors. I want to be able to interact with like the other students in my class. I want to be able to talk like that's just something that's always been really important to me and not having that has been really tough. And I like that's like just being in a classroom is just the other aspects of tech like are I Ezra? Ezra? I think Ezra's the, the power of technology. Ezra froze himself. <laughs> he'll he'll come back. Anybody want to jump in there? We'll we'll get more from him when he comes back. More oh, generally, oh Avery, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna echo Ezra's sentiment that I'm tired of Zoom. Yeah. Like other stuff is. You're back, Ezra. Do you want to finish your thought, Ezra? Oh, it's fine. I think I finished my thought, but I don't know where I was when it, it cut out. So it was a perfect, it was a perfect segue or, you know, a demonstration of why Zoom is, you know, no fun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think, I mean, my college was talking about like a hybrid of, you know, like in person and online. So I think I'll have Zoom classes for a while to come, but hopefully I'll like, have, I don't I, I don't I don't I don't know how the hybrid works and I don't think they do either but I mean like I I, I can't I tried I had to take an AP test and handwrite things and I, I realized how weak my hands have become <laughs> I haven't handwritten anything in months you start cramping up while you're writing and yeah <laughs> no I think like Avery this is a little off topic but I was thinking about in the sense of when we start opening things up it was a lot easier for me to see things more black and white where 
you know, the virus wasn't really an organ and now it is an organ. So now I'm staying at home and I'm doing all the precautions and I'm not meeting people to enter this sort of unique phase where things are, some things are going to be open, some things are not going to be open. You're going to be interacting with people, but you're going to be a little bit apart. Like all of those things, it plays into this idea. I think um, the question you asked earlier about, do you just want to like let go and just forget about it? I feel like I've been in this space where I'm either way too afraid <laughs> or not afraid enough. And I think a lot of people <laughs> agree with me that it, it can be tiring and it's hard to relate to that sentiment that you held in like the middle of March about the virus as we see cases decline. I think part of it's just that my mom's a healthcare worker. So we have a lot more, um, I don't know, we have a lot more news coming in to our household from my mother all the time. So it's, it's something where I think I feel like I'm still more afraid than my peers are. Um, and so I'm trying to think about how do we handle our fears because they're constantly fluctuating. Well, I just like the thing that like is crazy to me is just like sort of connecting to what like Arushi said, like it's really weird thinking about going to camp to like, wherever we're going in the fall. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, not again. <laughs> I think he's doing this on purpose. <laughs> I love his facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get, we'll give him a chance in a second. So, Rishi, you bringing up your mom, it, it makes me wonder. Um, my experience in high school, especially my senior year, there was so much stuff that I was doing away. You know, like I was not spending a lot of time with my family, and not that I w wouldn't have wanted to, but you know, there was so much stuff going on. So, I'm I'm curious about the relationships with your families, um, how they have been over this period of time? Is th have things got better? Like, Elizabeth back. <laughs> Ezra, do you, want to, do you want to finish your thought before we move I on? Can, to I can finish it later, it's, it's fine. No, 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 uh, go ahead. I can always. Well, I, was, I was just saying like being on campus and like having single door rooms and being like six feet apart and having like wearing masks in this place when you're supposed to be like making all these new friends um, and connecting with like all these new people, just like that feels really weird to me. Really anyway. unnatural. Yeah. Um, to answer that question, I, I, I feel like I've been getting a lot closer with both my parents, um, which has been really nice because like, I just haven't been able to spend a lot of time at home because of Catlin. Like I, I like wake up, leave almost immediately. And then I'm like, get home at six or seven, every, like pretty much every day for the past four years. And so like actually getting time to spend with them has been really nice. Um, it's also like, it can be tough at sometimes. Um, like we've now spent two months stuck in the same house together. And that it's like, I don't know. I've, I've never gotten really mad at them, but there are moments where I like, it's very easy to get frustrated or tired or just like want to like have, want to be able to interact with somebody else. Or, yeah. On the one hand, like, we're teenagers and psychologically we're at this phase where we're like supposed to be, you know, like kind of questioning our parents, you know, getting frustrated by them. But I also think that there's a lot of value in this time if you're looking at like the few positives of this situation is that we're at an age where we're about to, you know, as you were saying, leave the nest. 
and go to college or wherever else we're going. And there has not, for me at least, been a time since I was a little kid that I've spent so much time with my parents because I've just been pretty independent for a long time. And I think that I do have like my moments of, you know, aggravation, but I've really enjoyed this time with them, like going on bike rides and just having, you know, the conversations in the house and all the meals together. And I think that later on, I'll be really grateful for that time. Yeah, I think this period of time has also lent itself to be a good transition point with my family in terms of you know, what are our responsibilities now that we're all stuck at home, you know, except for my mom who has to go to the hospital every once in a while. Um, and before, like when I was in school, not cook dinner or, you know, I would let my parents take more of the burden of the responsibility, even though all of us had different places to go. Like my parents used to have to go to work, but, you know, I was a teenager and I was a kid and now we're at this point where you know, I was doing senior projects for a month, but that was like three hours a day. Um, and so I really had the time to sort of step up in that way. And I think in, in many ways, this is a nice transition period to have with my family to be like, not yet fully an adult, but you know, how to how, how do you interact with your parents as you are becoming an adult um, through passing through your adolescence. So in that way, I think this is a great time to sort of reevaluate our relationship um, as we sort of understand each other a little bit more, just because, you know, as a teenager, you tend to be more private and you're like, oh, you don't understand me. And now, now we're at the point where I'm like, no, I want you to understand me where I'm at. Cause now I feel like we're, we're coming to a close on my adolescence. Yeah. Uh, similar to other people, it's like you're, starting to navigate the like the relationship you'll have with your parents as an adult maybe is what I feel I mean I feel like that's what's happening perhaps my adult relationship with my parents will be like dramatically different when we're no longer like stuck together um but you know stepping up to do more things like having conversations that I only have the time I only have the time to have these conversations because I'm no longer like you know coming coming home at 7 p.m every day like exhausted so I mean it's one of the maybe it's one of those things that would have happened anyway but it, it's it's a nice it's a it's a good thing I feel like that's one of the positives of the situation so I'd, I'd like to turn back a little bit to talk about Catlin as you are probably looking forward, you're going to, you guys have all been talking about what's this experience going to be for you next year. Callan's in the same position, but also in a, a bit of a unique position to have a chance to evaluate 60 days of, of remote learning. If you were going to give, or if you give some advice to Catlin about what works really well, um, in this kind of pivot that teachers had to do and the school had to do and what isn't working well and what maybe we should consider not doing uh, in the fall, what kind of advice would you guys give? From an academic perspective? On really like, any, yeah. any, yeah. Well, from an academic perspective, go back to regular, like <laughs> maybe keep the reduced workload, but like, I don't know, it's, I, 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 
we actually, I feel like the seniors actually, we did about half as much Zoom class as a lot of other people did. But I hate Zoom class and I, <laughs> I don't know, like. Yeah, also our teachers took pity on us because they were like, you're basically done, you know, <laughs> do what you want. You're gonna, gra- you're like, you're about to graduate. You're basically like, you're just sitting on a couch, like, you're gonna write, are you going to write an essay? No. <laughs> or like, if you're going to write an essay, it's going to be shorter. I never wrote an essay during online learning or like anything close to it. I wrote some articles for Cal and Speak. But I would say like as the time that the seniors were doing online learning came to a close, I was just so tired of it and relieved to move into online learning. And I'm astounded that people were able to continue like on with Zoom classes and produce work effectively for another month. Like while I was just, you know, like baking in my house. It's crazy to me. So do you think it's just not, you know, are we heading into something that everyone's just going to be collapsing by the end of September? I mean, if we go into a similar model or some kind of a hybrid model people are talking about, you know, half the day or half the week you're at school and the other half you're switching with other people, um, which might be the experience you have in college. Um, are you suggesting just minimal Zoom and just have more work that you're just kind of doing and then uh, somehow sharing out or what do you think? I would push back against that simply because for me, it really depended on the class. There were some classes that I had just such great social interactions with that also lent itself to learning. Like Ezra and I were in our climate change class and we had just the best group and it was something I looked forward to every week. I was mm-hmm. like two t- times a week, we're gonna have this awesome Zoom. It's not, we're gonna have, part of it's gonna be related to climate change. Part of it is just, we're gonna catch up with each other. Um, and that like social aspect, I think if we really focus about how can we make these social interactions that students enjoy, something that's common and something that students can rely on, then online learning feels less terrible for me. Um, part of the, like, part of the reason that I just didn't really enjoy it as much was because most of my classes, when they transitioned into online learning, there wasn't the same social interactions, um, just because people weren't able to communicate in the same way. Um, I really looked out in like a couple of my classes and just finding things that just clicked. Um, but for the most part, it didn't work that way. And I also felt really weird about wanting to just hang out with the teacher and talk with them over Zoom because they were so busy <laughs> trying to figure out how they're going to grade their students fairly and how to handle all the work and adjusting their curricula. So it was, it was the social aspect that I think made it super hard for me. I did have a lot of work because I was taking way too many classes my senior year, but <laughs> It, it that didn't seem to stress me out as much as just being alone. <laughs> so do you think, I'm just, I'm just thinking of an idea, you know, there, there was a lot of use of breakout rooms, I know. I mean, my kids were in breakout rooms a lot and sometimes they have similar experiences that you're talking about. They're really great, but mostly that's when they were with friends and then they were in breakout groups with people they didn't really know and it was awkward and it was more awkward than normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think if if classes were uh, or if students had more um, opportunities to create their own groupings and then 
you know, maybe you're not meeting with the whole entire class in Zoom, but maybe you're spending more time with a cohort from your class, like four or five people that you really get along with. Um, would that feel better in terms of using Zoom? Um, I feel like it, this sort of ties back to like the the thing we start we sort of started with, which was the idea of like the people like the people who you're sort of connected to, but not really. And I think um, there's like because like there have been some breakout rooms I've been a part of where it's just like nobody's talking, nobody's interested, like nobody's interested in talking. Like we're not like we don't know each other very well. We're not close, like for whatever reason. But and so like I don't. But at the same time, like I feel like if in a lot of my classes, if I was allowed to choose the people who I talk to, it would end up being the same people who I always talk to. And and I feel like there's, there's like an interesting balance where like maybe teachers send out a survey of people they like they want to work with. And you find a way to create these groups with people that you can talk to and can work with, but aren't your closest friends um, and are the people you're closest to. And I think that's what really is important to, to find. And that's really what in like a lot of the best classes I had, that was, what made those zooms amazing and i think the second thing that i feel like would really be helpful is making zooms intentional a lot of the zooms that i got on they just they didn't it didn't feel like they had a purpose or they didn't have a path or they had a a thing to do a lot of times it was working on projects or that we just split into breakout rooms where we didn't really do anything productive and i feel like like maybe if a video can suffice use a video if you really like if let's say you want to have discussion groups then really like use the zoom to have discussion groups instead of like doing like having it not have a clear purpose. And I feel like if teachers could really focus on how to make Zooms productive and with a specific purpose, it might make them feel a little bit better for the students. How about uh, one last question more about content and then I'll move on to something else. In terms of the kinds of work that you were doing, obviously you were limited in, in the types of things you were doing. Were there some particular projects that you thought were really this is this is something we could both continue in a remote situation and also in a face-to-face -face situation. Something maybe that teacher did you thought could go both ways and work in both settings. Group work comes to mind that can be done, you know, like in a document and like with people discussing how it's going to go in a breakout room like this, but also, you know, if there were days in that kind of theoretical like semi-virtual schooling, like come together in a classroom and have that kind of collaborative element. That seems good. In general, like most projects, when you allow the flexibility of deadlines um, and you provide a lot of the resources that students need that they would usually get on campus, then things can generally work out. So I've written essays remotely that have felt fine. I've done presentations that felt fine. There were the, the only conflicts I really had were the ones where the teachers had the same expectations as they would um, if we were in class. And so those were the main conflicts I had. Yeah, it's a different learning environment, so expectations need to shift. But I also think it's worth saying that different um, subjects lend themselves differently to online learning like just a discussion-based class, for example, can be pretty easy on Zoom. Like learning a language is a little bit harder if you're doing art and you don't have that direct like kind of instruction, that's really hard. Like 
it's just different for the different departments. Yeah, and reimagining science without any labs, you know, the, yep. the lack, lack of that kind of learning and transitioning into more lecture-based learning could impact students differently. Yeah, I think, I think there really has to be like something to like, if we, they sort of do like a day on day off type of thing um, in the fall or in, in whatever, I feel like they like, for example, like a lab, like you really have to be careful about like what you do when you have students. And then like maybe when you don't have students, you focus on giving them like, um, like giving them like work periods or giving them like, like maybe you have a lab on an in day, like on a class where you're in class and then you have, you let them write it up on the day they're out of class. And so like just trying to figure out how to balance those things. Um, I feel like could be really powerful and, and really helpful for students. So my last question, I think we're, we'll move on to kind of this last question that that's more looking forward for you all. And this would be an opportunity to talk a little bit share as much as you want about your your plans for the next uh the next year like what what you're doing you know hopes and dreams and um in light of where we are i'm i'm curious to know if you feel like you see this period of time as a kind of a bump in the road towards where you're going and it's like we need to get through this or is the experience you're having right now shifting your outlook on the future of your own experience or the, the of your, your friends and, and uh, family, the country, you know, just kind of where, when you think of the next chunk of time in your life, uh, how are you feeling about moving forward? I mean, there's different things that are going on right now. Um, I want the pandemic to be over, obvious. Like, I don't know. I mean, and I, I think a lot of us have said like we miss being in person, stuff like that. I mean, obviously some of like the the, the protests and stuff like the I don't, don't want to go back to normal. Like the old normal didn't work, and it's a weird time because there's so much going on, but. Yeah, I hope when things when things reopen that they that we make them better, I guess. But that's yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah, similar to Avery, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic after hearing about what's going on in the world. It's you know, when we talk about wealth distribution in the United States and what we're heading into after things open again, right, with, with how we're going to who are we going to help in society? Like what, who, where is money going to go, right? These sort of questions, along with the racial questions of, you know, people used to think, oh, these protests were going to stop, but it's not stopping. In fact, people are now think, being, people have always been, I'm being ignorant here, but like people have always been fighting for dismantling systemic racism, but now we see stronger allyship um, in these protests to dismantle systemic racism. And I think there, there are so many things going on that are terrible. And in this, we are learning that the status quo has allowed these things to happen on a lesser scale, right? And so this is a moment where we're thinking this needs to change. And so for me, it's been, it's been horrible because we have to acknowledge what has been happening. But at the same time, I'm hopeful because there are things that are happening, you know, 
even within our own institution, people speaking up um, and asking and demanding for change as they have been for so many years. But now, you know, all of these institutions, all of these governments that we have to hold them accountable. And this is the one of the best times to do it because we are in this era of we're leaving the status quo because of all of these things happening at the same time. I feel like the key there is that like, it's not just like a, like a this, it's not one thing that needs to change. It's everything. And I feel like that's the, that's the thing that we're seeing right now is so many things are in a really bad place right now that we're seeing a lot of different things that need to change. And those are really coming to light. And so I, my hope is that like my personal hope is that for, for, society that we use this as like a launching point to work to fix things that we desperately need to fix and that we like and and make the like the united states a better place for for everybody to live it um but on a more personal level it's it's a lot harder because i'm looking forward to the next year and hoping that i could be going to school and thinking that i might have to spend another year at home and so for me personally, it's much more of a speed bump of trying to figure out how to get over this and how to deal with a lot of the stuff going on. But I'm hoping that as my part, like, in, like I'm hoping that society will, will change for the better, even if it means that I have to struggle a little bit. I, or feel, a lot. I feel like we're at a low point and, you know, like all this stuff, systemic racism like has been around it's just really evident right now because of the recent murders and like I think I'm hoping that the protests as well as the pandemic will you know give us like a road forward not Mm -hmm. only like I mean like you know all my peers are saying like in every way and in some ways we want to resume normal with the pandemic, but to like, you stop the pandemic. But I'm also hoping for, you know, more equity in all ways. And I think that the pandemic has shown us ways in which we can also, you know, help with climate change and be more environmentally, Mm -hmm. like looking forward. For example, like Zoom's, in some ways, as you're talking about, emulate social interactions, or you can do meetings on there. So that could allow for, you know, fewer business flights, which account for a lot of, you know, flight and travel. And there's just a lot that's happening while we were at a standstill that I hope will show us ways in which we can adapt. Yeah, and going back to what Ezra was saying about sort of what I'm, what I'm hopeful for philosophically in my head versus what the reality is in my day-to-day life. Well, like the first thing is obviously like, oh, this is such a privilege that, you know, Mm -hmm. my day-to-day life, I'm thinking about this when, you know, what I'm thinking about in my head or for like larger systems and larger societies is different. But I think also on a more personal level, what's been really amazing during this time is that in my own educational institution like Catlin, I've been using my voice in a way that has never gained this much support before. Um, I've never been, like I, like I posted a comment and, and people actually like liked it versus 
you know, I would, I would tell people how I felt and everyone would look at me kind of weird um, about these things that I would bring up about Catlin being like, it's, it's, there, there are these, like, and, it, and obviously I'm not, I'm not a black person. I'm South Asian American. And that really carries into the kind of racism that I have faced at Catlin. But these institutions that, that uphold social and economic um, inequality, such as the institution I'm going for for college, right? I think all of these institutions are really facing this pressure, not just from its students anymore, but from, you know, outside to really change. Um, and so on a personal level, I'm really excited for the change that I get to be a part of um, in the next coming years while I'm in college, as well as the change that um, I'm leaving behind in Catlin in my, like, the last few weeks, so. So clearly there's, there's a lot of work to do. The four of you will all be, you know, probably your, your first time voting. I'm assuming you'll all be 18 in November. Yep. Um, I voted really recently. Oh, nice. In the, in the primary? Yeah. Did anybody else vote in the primary? Yeah, I did. No, I'm not 18 yet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel that Catlin has provided you the, you know, there's, there's, I feel like Catlin has always prides itself in this, as this place that is allowing people to talk about social justice and things like that. Do you think you are moving into this new life? Do you feel ready to be that active person that many of you guys are talking about? Do you feel energetically you want to do something and do you feel like you're really ready to step into, into those roles? Yeah, weirdly enough, I think there's a distinction to be made between Catlin versus individuals at Catlin. Because I, I know people who have never taken a class by Crystal, but I've had her in my ninth and 12th grade, and now she's my advisor. So I have these daily conversations with her um, that do focus on social justice. But I also know peers who haven't engaged in these conversations at all. Like I had a peer text me, ask me, like, what does white privilege really mean? And I was like, you've been at the school for like 10 years now, I think for this individual and to have them ask me because they know I'm a person of color who has been involved in diversity, equity, inclusion work was a, was an interesting conversation, but it also opened my eyes to the fact that there are just so, there's such a variance of, of learning that occurs at Catlin. Um, and I really have to credit individuals rather than the institution itself. Yeah, I, Catlin has a lot of people who speak out but it doesn't necessarily mean the institution itself is, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Catlin does maybe pride itself on its social involvement, but as someone who was like sort of part of that way of thinking, I like did some LGBT things at Catlin and I like did some organizing, I guess. I like coming out of that. Now I'm realizing like, okay, now that I'm out in the wider world, that was like the baby, most baby steps. Like, I don't, yeah, like in terms of the, like I, I spend a lot of time like thinking about stuff now, like in the past couple of weeks, even though like at Catlin, I was sort of doing the diversity thing as in the way that people sort of tend to think of it even though that's maybe not the best way of talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> like I was doing the diversity kid thing. <laughs> I would say less so as an institution, 
does Catelyn provide that kind of like, you know, thinking about privilege and everything, but there's ways to seek out to like, to be whatever, like a diversity kid, like those things are made available to you, but they're in no way a requirement. And that's more like an issue with, you know, acknowledging that more widely within the community and within the curriculum and in like group settings. Cause even if we have, you know, affinity groups and like specific teachers who are really great resources, it doesn't mean that the institution is one. The fact that we talk about like diversity kid thing is like a, yeah, it's a sign that most of the people I've, are not a lot of the student body and a lot of the institution don't put a lot of thought into issues of right it's an opt-in policy it's an opt-in yeah. thing like you can be a part of it if you want to but even then like like I, I would caution against saying that you can be a part of it because there are definitely been times where it feels like there's a certain person that they want to be the diversity kid if we were going to label it that way right there's a certain complicitness I felt especially my senior year as I tried to reconcile the ethics of private education, especially for high school, um, with larger systemic inequalities, right? They, there was a certain buy-in where you had to believe that the school was good, but needed work to be done to be the, the accepted social, or social justice kid or diversity kid at Catlin. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's an opt-in system. It doesn't necessarily have a lot of buy-in because again most of the students at the school come from very privileged backgrounds and there's a lack of wanting to engage because they don't have to um, and i'm privileged in this way in many parts of my identity as well um, but i would say it's 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 the way we phrase these things as social justice when we talk about people of color when we talk about the lgbtq community we talk about these things in the sense of we're focusing on the marginalized we're not focusing on the oppressors right um, and that's where I think Callan really fails. It, we have so many white faculty that could teach students about white privilege and teach students to talk about themselves in the I perspective. Um, and we could ask them to talk about ways in which white people uphold racism, right? Or even like non-black people uphold certain, you know, anti-blackness, like all of these sort of nuanced conversations that we're missing because we're so focused on the marginalization and the marginalized communities, which are also important, but um, it's it's easy to disengage personally from it because then when you're only hearing about you know people and we phrase them as the others, then there's no connection between your relationship with these people. So, and I think that on a majority white campus, having those conversa conversations only about like the situations of oppression and not the oppressors is just catering to white fragility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like there's this sort of like, um, like sort of like the diversity kid idea that like only the diversity kids are able to and or can talk about diversity. Um, like I feel like I've been involved in a lot of conversations around diversity, but because I feel like I haven't been labeled as a diversity kid from the people around me or, or as from myself, I feel like I'm often afraid to speak out for fear of being criticized 
partially because I'm not part of any minority. Um, and so I'm always like, I feel like the, the, I've always been separate from those conversations when I, and even when I want to speak out, I'm afraid that because I'm not a diversity kid, I'll be, I, that I, that I will be labeled as wrong. And so, but even though I want to learn and I want to contribute and I want to be a part of those conversations, I feel like it's hard for me to because of the way Catlin sets up this idea of a diversity kid. So. I, I've, I've learned a lot. Like, I mean, I've, spent, I've looked into more things in the past few weeks than I did while I was in Catlin classrooms. And I think I've, yeah, like, yeah, the in, independent study is really the name of the game, I think. <laughs> If you wanna learn, if you wanna talk about social justice, or if you get certain teachers, yeah. So uh, for me, it was Cliff very much so. Um, so. Yeah. You know, I would say though that um, this labeling of diversity kid, you know, as as much as like I I can understand Ezra's perspective, it also puts you know especially students of color at Catlin in this position where. Um, I, I wrote about this when I was, my, my senior project was really just reflecting on my high school experience. And in my ninth grade, if I'm being honest, I wasn't involved in diversity, equity, or inclusion at all. Um, it wasn't until my 10th grade. And the reason why was because I was starting to learn about the experiences I was going through. I was starting to able, I was able to start labeling microaggressions that I went through because at first it was just, oh, this was weird and maybe this is my fault. I'm not sure why that interaction left me weird, weird feeling weird, but then you know, years later, I would look back on that experience being like, oh, no, that person said something racist. And <laughs> that's not something I need to internalize. Um, and so as I was starting to live these experiences, I looked for texts, I looked for teachers in particular, who could identify in similar ways. Um, I looked for a lot of resources. And that's when I really educated myself. And it put me in this position where um, I was expected to now educate my peers. Um, and in the classroom, I found myself at times not wanting to participate, but a teacher would make like direct eye contact with me when a student says something ignorant, right? Saying like, Arushi, this is your job. You know, you're not just a student here. Um, and, and dealing with that was also in another way, racial fatigue um, playing out at Catlin because it was my job as, you know, a token student of color to make sure that my white peers were saying things in nice ways, where they're saying things um, where they could feel safe enough to say whatever they want and you know teachers would tell me you know i have to push back in a nice way i have to push back kindly and gently and it was my responsibility to make them feel comfortable um because you know if if they don't feel like they can say whatever they're thinking then we won't have these productive conversations and and i said well sure but isn't that your job <laughs> right but then most of my teachers were white most of my teachers whenever i approached them would say oh i have this blind spot you know i'm working on it <laughs> Um, and it was like, I'm a, I'm a 14, 15, 16 year old, and I seem to know more than you do. So how much are you actually working on it? Um, <laughs> so those kind of things, right, of labeling people as diversity kids also hurt them as well, because then they don't see themselves just as students, they see themselves as something, a beneficiary of the school. 
Well, I really appreciate the time and thought that all of you have put into this conversation. I think the this last bit of of the conversation, I think, is it really it it's at a it's at a time right now that I think that all of the things that you're all bringing up are really really vital and important for the school to be thinking about and be hearing student voices and community voices. My hope is that doing these podcasts does elevate the ideas and, and thoughts of everybody um, that comes on and, and has a chance to talk and that the, the audience has a chance to hear and, and hopefully really to take into account everything that you're saying and take it to heart. And when you look back at Catlin a year from now, two years, five years as alumni, that you can say, oh, I, I was at this crucial part where Catlin actually did make a big change and hopefully the rest of the society is making a big change. Um, and you guys have been at that crux point. I did want to leave the last moment if anybody wants to share any other thing about anything that they would would like to say about their time at Catlin or moving forward or a, a last thing to say if anybody, you don't have to, but if you'd like to. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for, for coming. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate. If you have questions, ideas, or want to share your story, please send us an email. Elevate at catlin.edu.